0: of your Bible. John chapter 16. I don't think there's a clear passage in the Bible about the ministry of the Holy Spirit than John chapter 16. And the reason I say that is because Jesus in talking to his disciples before he's getting ready to leave and go to Calvary and then from there ascend back to heaven He's got some things he really wants to settle in their hearts. And one of those things is about what's going to happen after he leaves. That when he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be in his place. You say, "Well, how is that how would that be better?" Here's how that's better. Jesus could only be in one place at one time when he was physically here on the earth, but the Holy Ghost can be anywhere he wants to be at any time. And so what we have is we have access to him. We have fellowship with our God through the Holy Ghost of God. And and I say that tonight to say this. Tonight I'm going to continue what I started on Sunday about foundations in the church. And and there are a lot of things that people, I think, confuse about the purpose of the church. If I were to ask you to stand up right now and say, well, this is the purpose of our church. And then I ask you, well, can you give me some scripture behind that? If I were to ask you to do that, where would you go in the Bible? If you were to say, well, the purpose of the church is obviously this. I know why Jesus came. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I know why he came, but why why do we exist? We are all part of the church. If you're born again, we're part of the church of the living God. But why? Why do we exist? Why is the church here? And I think there are many different attitudes about that that are wrong. Have you ever been in a soul-winning church? You know what I mean by that? A soul-winning church is a church that takes and emphasizes door-to-door and going out and and evangelizing their community. Uh, Maybe they go out with buses. uh, Maybe they hold signs on a street corner, but they're heavily invested in that. And I I think that's a good thing. I think that's that's something that we ought to be engaged in. We ought to try to get the gospel to our neighbors. Would you say amen to that? But that's not the only thing. In other words, if that's the only thing that you do, if all you do is being engaged in evangelism and you never teach anybody what's in the Bible, there are a lot of cults that have preyed on churches that led many people to Christ but never grew them in grace. And so the idea is there are some churches that are soul winning churches. That is their emphasis. That's their purpose. Their purpose is to go out and get the gospel out. And again, I'm for that. I believe that we ought to get the gospel and we go out. We go out on Saturdays. We have people that go out during the week. And then you have other churches that are worshiping churches. That's what their point of emphasis is. Everything is all right as long as they get a chance to be able to praise the Lord. And what I mean by that is if you go inside their churches, a lot of times there's a lot of emotion. There'll be all kind of music. There'll be a lot of people that are raising their hand and maybe even demonstrating in other ways. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter about all the other things that the most important thing is that tonight we get a chance to worship. And I believe we ought to worship God. I believe we ought to worship God, but I'm telling you right now, it does make a difference how you sing, and and it does make a difference on how you praise God if you're not willing to follow some scriptural guidelines. Maybe I should say it this way. Standing up and praising God when you went drinking on Saturday night just doesn't go together. Right. It does matter what a woman wears when she stands on a platform and sings about Jesus Christ. You can't just get up and... wear whatever you want and sing about the Lord and say it's all right. There are a lot of churches that they emphasize that feeling. They're a worshiping church. And again, I believe we ought to worship. We probably don't worship enough. But that's not all that we do. I think you ought to be telling people about Jesus. I think you ought to teach them what the Bible has to say. So the church does not just exist for worship. And then there are are churches that that are classroom churches. You ever been one of those? You know what I'm saying? Everybody's got a pen. Everybody's got a notebook. Everybody takes notes. Everybody's, everybody, we're, we're, that, that, that's a church that's given to the study of scriptures. And I believe you ought to study the Bible. Y'all are looking at me right now. I'm, I'm just telling you, there are churches that all they, that, that is all they do. They are deep in the Word, and, and they line, line upon line, precept upon precept. And I believe that expositional preaching is the best kind of preaching. But a church does more than just come and get out the notebook and the pen and the paper and the pad and write down everything that's said to gain knowledge. There ought to be more than knowledge being gained. Somebody ought to be worshiping the Lord. Somebody to be telling somebody about Jesus. So what I'm saying is that some churches they just focus on, they just focus on the study of the Word of God. And then there are other churches that are family churches. You ever been to one of those? You ever been to a family church? I'm looking. I, I'm I can't really get. I'm I'm not really getting the feedback that I normally get. You ever been to one? If you've ever been to one of those, you'd know it. You'd know it. Because really, that church is all about just getting everybody there. I mean, what we do is we just have everybody come together, and what we're going to do—it's about kinship, it's about fellowship, it's—it's it's about us getting together. And boy, they've got all kind of groups, and they've got all kind of things going on. And, and really, the emphasis becomes—it's just about us loving one another and being together. And I think y'all love each other. Amen. Come on now, I think y'all love each other. Amen. But the church doesn't exist just for you to love each other. Somebody needs to know about Jesus out there. And then we need to worship the Lord, not just love one another. And then you have churches that are just working churches. Their emphasis is service. Everybody's got five different ministries. Right. And, and their primary focus is we've got to get there and we've got to reach out. We've got to do all kind of things. And there are multiple ministries going on. Now, I, I believe you ought to be engaged in ministry. In fact, I think you can be engaged in more than one, but I tell you what I don't think is good. I don't think it's good for you to be in junior church and super church every Sunday of the year and not be out in the service every now and then. Amen. All right. In other words, it, it's not something that we just give out. All we do is serve. In fact, can, I think we have a serving church, don't you? Amen. But I don't think that service is all we do. Right. The other night we got to worshiping God when Brother Aiken was singing, The sun comes up in the morning. Amen. Amen. We have people going out on Saturday. And on Friday night, we've got hope ministry. And we saw somebody get saved as a result of it. Amen. Amen. So what I'm saying is to focus on one thing. Then there are some churches that are societal churches. Now, probably most of us hadn't been in one of those. Those kind of churches usually are always focused on a cause, the needy, feeding the hungry, um, what the political landscape is. Being involved somehow in the community. I think we ought to be involved in our community. I think we, I think we ought to be involved in our community. I think we ought to vote. I don't, I don't think it's wrong to have some kind of, 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 of effort to go out and feed. We've done that. We've gone out here at Thanksgiving, tried to feed people, homeless people. I, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the only thing. If the only thing you do is look at the community, you never look at the creator, then you've missed something. If all you ever do is look at the community and you never look at the family and try to help one another, you've missed something. And what I'm saying is, how do you balance all that out? How do you not become one thing or the other? I think what you do is you follow what God put down in the Bible as the purpose of the church. Now, and that's found right here in John chapter 16. The Holy Ghost, this is how he directs the church. Look at it. This is real simple. This is the first part of my message. Verse 8. Well, let's start in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He's telling those men, it, it is going to help you for me to go away. It's expedient. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Holy Ghost is called the Comforter. He's called the Spirit of God. The other day, Brother Harold Merritt stood up in front of our men in the men's prayer room at 515. And I I think he must have given 20, 30, maybe 40 different names for the Holy Ghost in the Bible. And the Bible here is he calls him the Comforter. I'm going to send the Comforter to you. Now, look at verse 8. This is one of the responsibilities of the Holy Ghost. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. If you want to write out beside verse 8, evangelize. The Holy Ghost is involved in talking to men about eternity. The Holy Spirit is involved in seeing that men recognize their sin. Listen, how many of you believe if you don't recognize yourself as a sinner, there's no way you're ever going to trust a Savior? Do you say amen to that? The Holy Ghost does that. He reproves the world. He reproves the world to reprove. we got a call today laid it down in Columbia. got a, uh, a mailer that we helped sponsor through Victory Baptist Press. On the front of that mailer is the world on the left-hand side. We have tracks here. And then on the top upper corner, it has heaven. And then in between the two, it has the flames of hell. And there's a bridge that goes across. That bridge is in the shape of a cross. And on the back of the track, it talks about the only way you can get to heaven is to go through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No man. She called the church, and she was upset and said, I would never come to a church that put that kind of stuff out. She was upset. She was upset because there were fire, and there was flames underneath there about hell. She didn't want to be reminded of that. Listen, I, I, I'm not saying we ought to go out and knock on doors and tell everybody they're going to hell, but I will tell you this. If you die in your sins, hell is where you end up for eternity. There's all, how many of you, there's all kind of trouble in this world, isn't that Right? There's all kinds of trouble going on. To be reminded about eternal trouble would probably be more important than being reminded about trouble that's going over in Ukraine and Korea. That may not ever touch you, but eternity will. So the Holy Ghost reproves, and I think that's exactly what he did. I think she looked at that card, and instead of seeing heaven, she saw hell. Now, how many of you, when you look at that card, you see heaven or the cross? That's me. I'm I'm looking at that card, and I'm seeing the cross, and I'm seeing heaven. All right. But she saw the fire that was there. And all I'm saying is that the Holy Ghost reproves the world of sin. So there needs to be evangelism going on, evangelization. Then look at the second thing. Verse number 13. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, again, that's the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That means that the Holy Ghost is involved in edifying the saints. When we come here with an open Bible, it is my responsibility to preach what's in the Bible. But i am telling you right now, I believe that the Holy Ghost takes the truth in the Bible and he uses it to build up the people that are in the church. I can't build up anybody, but the Holy Ghost can build you up on your holy faith. He can take and make in you what you need to have. Listen, how many, how many, of, you, how many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit deal with you about something that maybe was only mentioned in passing in the pulpit? In fact, I've seen that happen. God deals with somebody about something. And what he does is he works in their heart. So the Holy Ghost is edifying the saints. So we ought to be involved in that. That's why I believe we ought to have preaching. I said, I think that's why we ought to have preaching. Now, we have Sunday school. That, that should be an extension of that. We have all kinds of things that go on. Vacation Bible school. We have Pee Wee, and we have Soldiers for Christ, and we have all kind of things that we're engaged in. Edification, Bible college helps build up Bible college students. Tabernacle Christian school should promote Christian education. So we're involved in all kind of things trying to build people up and not just say, hey, you need to get saved. No, there's something more than being saved. You need to grow in grace. Then look at the third thing. Verse number 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. We need to elevate the Savior. There's your three E's, all right? Number one, evangelize, verse eight. Number 13, you need to edify one another, or the church exists to edify. Number three, it exists to elevate the Savior. You shall glorify me. Now listen, if you look back in verse 13, the Bible says this about the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. In other words, the Holy Ghost is not in the business of glorifying himself. He's not speaking of himself. Verse 14, he shall glorify me. I'm going to tell you what I believe we ought to do when we come to church. I believe the church exists to glorify God. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ ought to get some glory. There is is something down in the heart. When we get here, something inside of you, the spirit should say, boy, he's worthy. He's worthy. That's why at the beginning of service, That sacred head. Did my sovereign die? My king died for me. That is not normal. Kings ask people to die for them, yet our king died for us. He's worthy of worship then. So whether it's in the song service or whether it's in prayer or whether it's in preaching, Jesus Christ should be exalted. Exalted. So that's what a church exists for. I believe we ought to invite people to church. But better than inviting somebody to church, I think we ought to invite them to Jesus Christ. Now, that's the purpose of the church. We ought to be engaged in that. That's what the Holy Ghost is engaged in. He's engaged in evangelizing the world, reproving sin. He's engaged in guiding the believer into all truth, edifying the saints. He's engaged in exalting the Savior. He's glorifying Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you understood what I just said? So here's what I think. A lot of times then we can work backwards and say, does what we're doing fit into one of those three areas. Is this about evangelism? Is this about edification? Or is this about exaltation of Jesus? And if it doesn't fit there, then maybe it's not something we should be involved in. We ought to be involved in what the Holy Ghost is involved in. All right, now, if you turn to the fly leaf of your Bible now. Um, <laughs> boy, there's so many things that stick in my mind. From being here in Bible college. I, if I heard Oliver Green say it one time, I heard him say, say it a, a hundred times. He would he would talk about being saved. He'd say, and I'm talking about being saved, saved, S-A-V-E-D, saved. You ever heard him say that? I have. I have. And then we talked about being a Baptist. He said, I'm a Baptist. He said, but I don't say too much about it because I know too many of them that are in the penitentiary. Now, a lot of people wouldn't know what the penitentiary is. But the Why are you a Baptist? Why are you a Baptist? Are you a Baptist because your wife's a Baptist? Are you a Baptist because your mom and daddy are a Baptist? Are you a Baptist because you've never been to a Presbyterian church and wouldn't know what they really teach? Or maybe a a Methodist church? Are Are you a Baptist because you believe it to be biblically as close to the New Testament church as it possibly can be? I think we all know why we're Baptists. Could you say amen to that? Well, I'm a Baptist because that's what I was raised. I've had people tell me that. In fact, there are people that put out podcasts, and one of the things they say is things exactly like that. The only reason you're a Baptist and do what you do is because that's the way you were raised. Now, I think there's some things about being raised that are culturally correct. I think you ought to put sugar and ice in your tea. Don't you think that's right? I think hot tea with lemon, I'm not against it, but it's not as good as iced sweetened tea. That's cultural. That's cultural. There's nothing wrong with having culture. In fact, it's not wrong that mom and daddy and grandma and granddaddy and and papa and meemaw and nana and all those other people brought you to a Baptist church. That's a good thing. But why are you a Baptist? And especially when I think about that question, you young people, why are you Baptist? Do you know? If somebody stopped you on the street and said, tell me why you're a Baptist, what would you tell them? Well, I'm a Baptist because I'm Baptist. Why are you a Baptist? So if you'll take and put a little acrostic right here, it's not original with me, just been that word Baptist, B A P T I S T. If you'll put that in the flyleaf of your Bible, maybe you can commit that to memory and you say, Well, let me tell you why I'm a Baptist. And, th- and this is what we believe is true of the New Testament church and why we're Baptist. Now, I can go a step farther than that. Well, I will in just a minute. Number one, let it be. Let it be. All right? Let it be. We got about 14 minutes. Get this done. Let it be. Baptist. The B is for the Bible is the final authority. Our Bible is the final authority. Our final authority is not the college we went to. Our final authority is not a professor that's smarter than we are. Our final authority is not a lexicon. Our final authority is not the pastor. Come on, our final authority is this book we're holding in our hand. That's our final, when when I say that, I mean by that this is what we read this is what we possess this is what we we have common with one another and because of that we believe these words are inspired that's a Bible word we believe they're preserved that's a Bible word and we believe they're pure those are all Bible words about themselves so what we do is as Baptists we make our decisions based on what we find in the Bible So when it comes to tithing, tithing was not uh, something that a pastor created to fund the work in his church. Tithing is something you find in the Bible. You find it before the law, under the law, and you find it after the law. You find it in the book of Exodus. You you definitely find the book of Genesis, and you find it in the book of Hebrews. And all I'm saying is what we do, we follow the Bible. The Bible is our final authority, the Bible. All right, that's Matthew 4. If you want to write a verse, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I'd like to say in saying that, I believe every word in this Bible came from God. I don't believe a man wrote this book. If a man wrote this book, it would be a whole lot different. You say, how? You wouldn't know about David's sin with Bathsheba if a man wrote this book. No way that 30 prophecies about one man all came true that were written thousands of years before he was born. I'm telling you, every prophecy about Jesus in the Bible came to pass exactly as it was prophesied. You know why? Because God wrote this book. Now, there are a lot of people who don't have the Bible as their authority, they have friends as their authority, they have Facebook as their authority. They have Hollywood as their authority. I don't need Hollywood to tell me how to cut my hair. I don't need Hollywood to tell me how to dress. I don't need my friends to tell me how to do that. I've got a Bible that tells me how to do that. That's my final authority. Right. All right, letter A, big word, autonomous government. Autonomous government. And autonomous just means self-governing or freedom to govern yourself, independent. America is an autonomous nation. We are not governed by Great Britain like we once were. In 1776, we fought, we declared our independence, and we, we won our independence. Now we are free to govern ourselves. We don't pay taxes to the British crown. We pay it to the American crown, but not the British crown. Right. Right. But we are autonomous, so we elect our own leaders. And what that just means is this, that a church, a church we believe is governed by itself. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, it talks about the elders that are among you. And it talks about those that are among you that they're to feed the flock of God and they're to take the oversight. Now because of that, that means this, we are not part of a synod. If you don't know what that means, go look it up. We are not part of a diocese. We, listen we we are not even part of a denomination or a cooperative program, or we we are, we are independent what, what we mean by that is that we govern ourselves now, listen, we all have different cultures. I promise you, if you talk to the Grands, New York has a different culture than greenville it 's a different culture. Every church has to govern itself in the culture that it 's in. Can you imagine pastoring a church somewhere? In Alaska, what that would mean in the wintertime. In fact, how many of you are glad that, no, that God did not send you to Alaska? I, I know cities where they, listen, there are times of the year, the only way to get there, the only way to get there is by way of boat. You can't get there any other way. I am glad that I don't have to drive a boat to church. If I did have to drive a boat to church, how many of you think we'd probably have to rethink a lot of things? So what I'm saying is every church rules itself. We have ruling elders. We have people that God gives us, a pastor, a deacon. You have people, and we, we, we vote on different things as a congregation. We don't vote according to what the church down the road says. We vote according to what we think God wants us to do here. That means we're autonomous. We, we govern ourselves. That is throughout the New Testament. So I'm a Baptist because in the Bible they govern themselves. Acts 15 they said, look, abstain from idols, don't drink blood, no fornication, fare you well. Y'all take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. How many of you are glad somebody else is not running your house? Right. You run your own house. You don't have somebody else run your house. Of course, I, I don't know. I'm looking right now. Some people are saying, well, preacher, you don't know what's going on in my You get to decide what color paint you want on the wall. You bought the house, you ought to be able to decide that. Can you imagine your neighborhood getting together and saying you had to paint your walls a certain color? You wouldn't like that. Would you like that? What if they said you all have to have the same kind of dog, or worse yet, you had to have a cat? All of you people have cats, I'm sorry. I'm just saying you have an autonomous home, we have an autonomous church, we live in an autonomous nation. And that nation, if you look in history, Thomas Jefferson and others recognized the form of government that Baptist churches used, and they based part of their plan for the country on that kind of government. Right. Now, letter P, priesthood of the believer. When I say priest of the believer, uh, Ephesians 2.18 talks about that we now have access access. And all that means, priesthood of believer does not mean that I've got a position or an office or a title. The Old Testament priests had special privileges. You had to be born in a certain family to be a priest. And then each of those families had different responsibilities. To be the high priest, you had to be part of Aaron's family. And they had certain orders that they went through, things that they did at certain times and seasons. There were things that they were limited from doing. There were things that they were restricted from doing. And then there were things that only they did. Well, you and I, you and I, we don't have somebody go to God for us. Listen, we don't don't have a priest or a pastor or an elder or a holy man or a witch doctor. Nobody goes to God for you. You have direct access yourself. You don't even have to be in church to get in touch with God. There are religions that believe the only way you can really go and speak to their God is to be at that location. I'm glad I have a God that's a whole lot bigger than that. I'm glad I don't have a little God that I've got to go where he is to get in touch with him. I'm glad I've got a big God. Amen. Amen. But we have access. We are all priests. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. We have men in the church, godly men, godly women, That'll pray with you, but you have direct access. You do. The priesthood of the believer. T, two offices. We believe in two offices in the church. Now, when I say two offices, I got a couple of funny looks. I don't mean we only got two offices back here in the building, back here. When I say two, I mean two places that a person occupies a positional role according to Scripture. All right, that's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible talks about if any man desire the office office of a bishop, that he desires a good work. It later on goes down to say that that deacon, that that deacon, that he uses his office well, that God recognizes something in that. Now, when I say that, there are only two offices. That does not mean that we don't have a lot of gifts. There are, there, every person in the church has a gift from the Spirit of God. Every person is enabled, and we have all kinds of roles. We have an administrator that takes care of the children's home, Mrs. Sandy, and that, that is not an office in the church, but it's something we absolutely need. How many of you that work in the home say that's an absolute necessity? All right. We have an administrator of our school. We have an administrator of the college. We have a general manager of the radio station. All of those things are roles that people feel. But when you get down to it in the Bible, you have the pastor and you have the deacons and that's it. Right. That's it. And by the way, just to make it clear, both those are men. Right. Now, again, I, um, you say, why do you believe that? Because you're a chauvinist. No, because we, we believe the Bible and when the Bible says that a bishop must be the husband of one wife, we, we don't believe two men marry. Right. When the Bible says that the deacons wives, when it speaks of their wives, it, it means we're, we're talking about male and female. So that deacon is a man and that, that pastor is a man. But you say, well, does that mean that a woman doesn't have a role? Absolutely not. This church that we're in right now is filled with women that are doing all kinds of things. In fact, we need more women to step up. Anybody want to step up and take care of the nursery for me? Well, you just won't let women do anything around here. I, I'll help you right now. Anybody wanna want take that job? There's all kinds of things that we can do. Did I just see a hand back there? Kim, did you just raise your hand? I'm just making sure I can't, sometimes my contact plays tricks on me. Now, listen, a pastor is not to be a lord over the congregation. I do not believe in pastoral dictatorship. I don't believe in that. I believe that a pastor is an under shepherd. Do you, I I believe, listen, I I know I've heard people say this. I want y'all to roll right now. I don't work for you. I work for God. Well, I understand what you're saying. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's not right in, in, what it's in the statement, but well, here's what I'm saying. I believe that I'm a member of Tabernacle Baptist Church just like you're a member of Tabernacle Baptist Church. I, I, I don't want to try to play the organ. Ken does a good job. Would you say amen to that? I don't need to try to play the piano. Judy does a good job of that. Everybody's got different roles, so we all have a role that we fit in. And I, the role that God's given me is to be the under-shepherd. Jesus is the one supposed to run the church. All right, but I am, I am a servant of this church. I, I don't, I appreciate all the kind gestures, but I am not your Lord. Your Lord is in heaven. Amen. Amen. That's right. Some men that take the pastorship, they think everybody ought to do exactly what they want. I don't believe that. I, I, really, I don't care what color we paint the wall. I don't, I don't, I don't care what color the carpet is. That, I would probably care if it was orange and white. <laughs> orange and blue. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Well, no, it, it's going to be this way. I, I don't care which way the door swings. I don't, but we need to find out. No, you don't. We, we just need to get the job done. All right. A deacon is a servant of the church. Many times you'll hear people say, well, the pastor's the under shepherd, deacon is a servant. I believe he is a servant, and he's been given opportunity to serve that local church, but everybody is a servant in the church. They just have a particular position that has been tested because they have access to things that others may not have access to. So when I say that, we believe in two offices. All right, letter I, letter I. We're moving right along, we're doing pretty good. We believe in immersion of believers. What I mean by that is we believe that what you do is we believe that as Baptists, we we immerse people when we baptize them. Now, we believe that's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that we, like He, are raised to walk in newness of life. So, in other words, that's why, that's why we listen, I, I, I'm not I'm not angry with people that do, but that's why we don't sprinkle. We believe that Christ was buried and that he rose again, all right? That, that's why we don't pour water on people when we baptize. <laughs> that, that's why, that's why if, if we try to put somebody down and there's been a couple of occasions where I've had people grab a hold of the glass and, and their arms out and they, you know, somebody say, well, preacher, I don't know if you didn't put them all the way under, so they still not really officially baptized. Well, they're at, they're baptized, no, that arm was out. I had I had a I had a young man one time got saved in Alabama and, and we were going to baptize him. One of his friends said, Well, you better not get baptized in that Baptist church. They said, Why not? They said, they hold you under for two minutes. <laughs> got to make sure you're under. That's not true. But we do believe in immersion. And the reason we believe in immersion, you can if you want, Matthew chapter three, Jesus Christ was immersed. John and Jesus went down into the Jordan River and came up out of the Jordan River when he was baptized. The same thing was true of the eunuch and Philip. The Bible says that they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. We believe it's immersion of believers. Bible-believing people get baptized. You don't get baptized to get saved. We don't baptize babies. We don't believe in that. We we, we don't baptize to wash your sin away. Sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, not water. That's why we believe in baptism. Most religions have a form of baptism. We believe in believer's baptism, and then we immerse them. They go down into the water. We, We don't sprinkle them with holy oil. We don't throw some kind of colored powder on them. We believe you ought to go down in the water, and you ought to come up out of the water. That's the example that we have in the Bible. So we believe in immersion of, the, of believers. Yes, yes. We believe that salvation is eternal. 1 John chapter 3, beloved, now are we the sons of God. 1 John chapter 5 says, beloved, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now listen, I'm going to go a step farther than that. I know God wants you to know, but here's what I'm going to tell you this, this evening. Salvation is not a coin. It's not something I possess. It's not something that I worked for and now I possess it. I have more than that. I have been birthed into the family of God. I now have a father in heaven because I'm his child. I've been born not of the will of man, nor the will of the flesh, nor of blood. I've been born of God. Born of God. You cannot change who your biological mother and father were. You may not like that. You may want to change that. You may love who God gave you as parents, but you can't change them. And when you've been born again, you can't change the fact that God's your father. We believe that salvation is eternal. Last one, last T, two ordinances. Two ordinances. We just practiced one this past Sunday. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said that he had delivered unto them the ordinances. An an ordinance is, is a law, an order, a right, and God says, I've got two that I want you to have, communion and baptism. That's our two ordinances. That's what we practice. That's what we believe. In fact, it's been a blessing every now and then we get to practice both of them. We get to have communion on the same day that we get to see somebody baptized. Now, what's true about both those, neither one of those brings salvation. And what I mean by that is this. When we, when we practice communion, we do not believe by taking communion that you get saved. We do not believe the bread turns into the body of Christ. We do not believe the juice turns into the blood of Christ. I, I don't receive Jesus by mouth. I receive Jesus by faith. And the same is true of baptism. I don't believe that that water washes away my sin at all. I, I believe it's a public testimony. And those are two ordinances that God gave to the church. Now, some people like to add foot washing in that. Jesus washed feet. He did that in John chapter 13. He washed the feet of his disciples. I think it was a great act of humility. In fact, I would go, I'd say this. I would say that foot washing, y'all getting nervous, aren't you? Foot washing would probably do some people good. And I'm not talking about the one washing, I'm talking about the one that has to get washed. Do you know I'm convinced some people don't think their feet are dirty? I'm convinced some people think their feet are pretty and they're clean like they are. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I don't need any help. You know what the Lord told Peter? I'm going to wash your feet. He said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part. He said, well, then wash everything. He said, Peter, the only thing I need to wash is your feet. You're in this world. You get dirty. Listen, uh, it, it would be an act of humility, but I don't believe it's something given to the church. You say, why? Because I don't believe any of you men would want another man washing your wife's feet. Of course, then again, some of you, the well, way you look at me right now, maybe you would want somebody to wash your wife's feet. <laughs> I heard a story. I, I, I could not believe it. I, I, was in, uh, I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. I was preaching for a man up there that Brother Dean knew very well, and you can tell him I said it. He's going to find it out anyway. And uh, while he was up there with that man, um, he, he stayed with him for a couple of years. And, um, and And finally, he said, he said, Scott, you come here. So Scott came in there. He set Scott down in the chair. He went over, and he got a bunch of bleach and poured it in a bucket. And he brought him over there. He set the bucket. And he said, now, take off your socks and your shoes. He took off his socks and his shoes. And he said, now, put your feet down in there. And you say, why? He said, you have the awfulest smelling feet I have ever smelled in my life. And he said he made him keep them there for a little while. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't think... I don't think that I need to be washing another man's wife's feet, nor do I think a woman needs to wash another woman's husband's feet. I believe the ordinances are exactly what we believe, baptism and communion. I don't find anything else in the Bible. So when I say that, when I say we, we are Baptist by what we find in the New Testament, I do find communion. I find baptism. I find bishops, pastors, and deacons. I find that in the Bible. I, I find in the Bible, the Bible is our final authority, that that New Testament church operated off the Scripture. I find an autonomous government where somebody says, we're going to run this church, the churches of Galatia, the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus. I find all that in the Bible. It's not something a Baptist sat down and wrote and we said, now this is what we, this is what we believe the Bible teaches. It's something that was in the Bible, so we practice that. So for that reason, for that reason then, We're Baptist. We're Baptist. Now, does that mean that we're better than everybody else? No. It just means we're trying to be biblical. We're just trying to be biblical. If we find it in the Bible, we try to put it into practice. And if it's not in the Bible, then we don't feel that we have to commit that to what our practice is. Now, there's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible. Pews aren't in the Bible. Aren't you glad we got them? Right. Restroom facilities aren't in the Bible. Aren't you glad we got them? Bet a lot of things that aren't in the Bible. But what's in the Bible is what we need to give ourselves to. So you're, you're, hopefully, you're a Baptist more than just because your mom and daddy were Baptist. Hopefully, you have those same principles in your life. And um, I think you ought to set them down and you ought to hold to them. All right. Any questions? Okay. How many of you are convinced that you're Baptist by the Bible? Amen. How many are confused as you can be when you came in? Now you just had, don't know what you are. I'm going to tell you something I've done. I'm not I'm not recommending you do it. I'm not, did you hear what I just said? I'm not recommending you do it. But if you've never been to another denomination and sat inside what goes on inside of there, it's a whole lot different than what we're doing here. I remember at Christmas Mass, I went to a Catholic church and I left before they got finished. You say why? Because I was scared to death. They would quote Latin, they would get on their knees and then they would stand up. They had, they had incense I was scared to death. I, I, I took a young man to a charismatic healing tent crusade. Anybody ever been to one of them? You've been to one of them, Johnny? That's how opener, isn't it? You go to one of those, and look, you, you think I'm kidding. They had a pile of white handkerchiefs, and I promise you, I could I recognize it was Old Spice. How many of you think you know what Old Spice spells like? It was Old Spice. They had poured Old Spice all over that, and they're giving those things away as prayer kerchiefs for a certain amount of money. I, I watched a guy talk about how much money he needed to raise that night, and God told him that it was there, and people need to give it. You've never been to anything like have, you ever been to a high church service before? I'm not. I'm gonna quit naming names because people are gonna get upset at me. You ever been in a church where they don't believe that you ought to say amen at all? When we were in New York as a kid, we had to go to Presbyterian church. Couldn't find a Baptist church up there. Very different from South, be, being down in the South and being in a Baptist church. Quiet. <laughs> some of you in the children's home. Some of you kids think, "Boy, we're we're." Listen, I'm talking about everybody just. I mean, it's like nobody's supposed to breathe. And it was, it was, it was strange. It was strange. I'm going to tell, tell you what I believe. I like being a Baptist. I do. I like being a Baptist. And I, I like being an independent Baptist. That's who I am. And that's what I believe this church is. That's what this church was raised to be. Doesn't mean we're better, but we, we know why we are what we are. Okay. Stand to your feet. Appreciate your attention. And here's what I like. Uh, there you go, Scott. Come right on. Got one other thing we need to give to you, by the way. Oh. Why, Scott's coming. You want to hear some good news? Ben Sosby, Ben Sosby sends this text. Now, I told you, he got a cousin that rededicated his life, and then that cousin had a wife and daughter get saved. Listen to what he sends tonight. He's not here tonight. He sends this. He says, I'm not going to be able to make it to church tonight, but I just got off the phone with another one of my cousin's children that was at the funeral. He was under conviction at the funeral and went down, but had doubts about getting saved, so he didn't tell anybody. He said he did go down because he was a sinner and asked for forgiveness. I asked him if he asked Jesus to save him, and he said, yes. Amen. Three people saved in one funeral. I showed him assurance verses, and he is now confident that he was saved at the funeral. Yes. Amen. 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 The gospel works. All right, Scott, go ahead. Amen. Amen. Appreciate the message tonight. Uh, this Saturday and also next Saturday, June 11th and 18th, We are blitzing for Bible school at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, uh, this coming Saturday and the 18th. We have new uh, postcards made up advertising Bible school. And I know we have the 1230 service at the Sanders uh, leaving here at 1230. But we're going to get in a few hours of door knocking and delivering flyers, inviting children and teenagers to Bible school. So, uh, if you want to pick some of these postcards up, there's some on the table here as you exit out. But uh, we'll plan to meet at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. All right. Thank you, Pastor. You're you're dismissed. Amen. Amen.